Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, today I'm going to be talking with Shay Cook about canine decontamination. So um, I'd like to ask Shay, can you tell my listeners something about yourself? Um, Yes, my name is Shay, and I have been doing search and rescue since 1995. I started doing what's called wilderness area work, and I live in California, and we call it area work out here. And in 1997, I started doing cadaver work. Um, and recently, the last few years, I've been doing trailing as well. Um, I'm on my fourth dog. I work German Shepherds. And that's a little bit about me. Okay. Well, so the first question I'd have for you is, um, how would you define canine decontamination? Well, to me, canine decontamination is any time your dog gets into something that you want to get off of them. Um, Typically, it's something topical. It can, it can be as simple as poison oak or as extreme as a sewage plant. Mm-hmm. So the first thing when I, that came to my mind when I saw the article you wrote for Canine Cop magazine was, um, how would this be relevant to me as a search and rescue volunteer canine handler? Because I know that in your article you broke down things nicely into some situations where hazardous materials um, might be encountered. Yeah, so in the search world, as everybody who's been searching knows, you kind of never know what to expect. Um, So sometimes I've responded to a missing child case, and it was in a residential area, but we ended up by a canal that's filled with sewage waste and other hazardous agents. So a typical urban search has now turned into more of a decontamination scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's one case of them. Um, and then there's house fires that happen or building fires, and those have different hazards when you're searching them, but similar decontamination when you're done with them. Yeah, I live in um, Syracuse, the Syracuse, New York area, and we're home to some of the most polluted waterways in the country. Yeah. Uh, and how about, um, you know, those are some small and medium-sized incidents. What would be some examples of um, medium to large-scale incidents that might involve decontamination? So the, more, the larger ones, the medium to largers would be um, landfills would be one. Those are typically homicide cases where you're looking for some somebody in the landfill. Um, um, and searching these areas have a whole different parameters, but the decontamination for landfills and the other ones are pretty much the same depending on the toxin that you have. So landfills would be one, um, and you typically have to decontaminate you and then your dog, and then you again. Um, That's typically how I've done it. Other ones would be large fires, like we had the San Bruno explosion out here in California. So that was a big fire. There's also the wildfires. We had some wildfires up in the north area. So those are big um, decontamination or hazardous scenes that you want to do. And then, of course, like the big, huge mudslide we had in Washington State with OSO 
was another large one. Um, some of the ones that I haven't been on that are out there are more of the FEMA dog-related ones that are like the World Trade Center and Oklahoma bombing, and those scenarios would be catastrophic in uh, Katrina, and those would require a, a very thorough decontamination when you're done with those. Yeah, although I've never been on any kind of large-scale incident, I guess around here, I, um, I know they've had some flooding events, and then things are really left kind of a mess afterwards. Uh, so if you're um, a canine handler, how would you identify contaminants? So the canoe in the woods, I mean, people can cause a contaminant as simple as poison oak. So that could be something that looks dry when you're out there and you run your dog through it. And, but if you have a family member allergic to it, you want to make sure you wipe your dog down afterwards. And I just use baby wipes, but you can use whatever you want. Some people go and wash their dog thoroughly. Um, the other scenarios would be like when you were talking about the waterways. Um, I get more concerned about waterways or flooded areas because the dogs can absorb stuff through their paws. Um, and so I get more concerned with things that can be absorbed in the animal's skin and you're not going to be able to wash it off right away. So um, mud was similar to that because it actually stuck on them. So anything that was contaminated there was not only on their fur and on their pads, but now it was sticking to them until we rinsed them off. Uh-huh. So what would be the first thing um, to do if you suspect that your canine partner might have been exposed to some sort of hazardous contaminant? I rinse mine off right away with water. Um, it, it depends. I mean, it depends on the scenario. So most of the scenarios I've been to, they have a decontamination staging area. It can be simple as a kiddie pool with water in it or as extreme as a, a whole bunch of um, canopies set up with different stations for decontaminating your dog. Um, mainly, is you want to wash off the contaminants. If you think it's more soaked in or not coming off with just water, you want to add soap or a detergent. Dove seems to be, or Dawn seems to be a really good detergent that breaks down the oils and gets it off the animals. And then you want to dry them off afterwards because they can get pretty cold if it's a cold environment. If it's a hot environment, you don't have to worry about it as much, but you want to make sure that they get dry afterwards. Um, If you're in an area that you don't have that immediate access to that, if you have water in your camelback or your water bottle, you can use those. Or if you have baby wipes with you, you can use those. Or just a brush to get some of this stuff off. Yeah, I know in your article you described um, some methods of decontamination, so I don't know if you can kind of quickly or, you know, go through some of those different methods like physical and dry and petroleum, biologic, and wet was how I think you broke it down in your article. You're talking about the different... Yeah, some different methods to decontaminate your dog. So, yeah, I mean, for the physical, you're talking about how to decontaminate the physical methods of wiping them down. Mm-hmm. So disposable towels is what I use, um, or you can just use your water. Some dry ones you might want to use, some people use talcum powder or baby powder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not as not a toxic agent, but like sand when it gets in there can be re- really irritating to the skin and baby powder get sand off of you and the dog super well. So having those available is really helpful. Um, For the petroleum products, as with all of these, I refer to either the fire guys 
or I think if it's you're more concerned, you can call CDC and get more or the controlled safety agency in your area. But um, petroleum, you want to use like Dawn dish soap. Seems to be really good. Um, a lot of people use that skunk off remedy that I think is out there. It's like petro- hydrogen peroxide, Dawn dish detergent, um, and a little bit of water, and that gets that off really well. Yeah, um, we that personally ourselves with the, yeah, with the stone. I think there's a chemical reaction that occurs between the baking soda, the hydrogen peroxide, and the Dawn that yeah. if, when it's immediately activated is effective, but you can't pre-make it um, mm-hmm. and then use it. So that's something that's immediately used. And then biologics, um, you can use betadine or chlorhexidine. Um, chlorhexidine, I think, is available. Both of them are available in stores. Uh, you just mm-hmm. need to make sure you make it to the right concentration before you use it on the animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the wet ones um, is just diluting whatever you have on there. And that's what you use the big water for. Um, some people will carry bigger jugs or showers in their vans and trucks, uh, the personal vehicles, so that you can rinse off really well. Um, part of it is just rinsing it off, and part of it is penetrating the fur to make sure you've rinsed it off to the level that you need to. Um, so those are the different methods I've been subjected to and are aware of. Okay. So let's say you you know you arrive at a search and then um if somebody, you or someone else, identifies some potential hazards or hazardous substances. So what are some things you might want to find out before you actually start searching with your dog or, or preparations you might want to make? Well, it depends on the hazard, um, and it depends on the scenario. Uh, so you want to make the risk-reward kind of uh, beneficial to you and your dog. So if it's a huge hazard and you're looking for deceased people, you might want to go to a different area and have that just searched by hand. Um, I'm not one to put PPE on my dog. So if, you know, and the booties I'm concerned, and other people might have different opinions, but the booties I'm concerned about that absorbing whatever the toxic agent is, and then just staying there for the dog to constantly be exposed to. So you sort of might run the risk of of um, holding it into the dog's paws right. rather than it's like yeah, it's like grabbing a towel and filling it with a chemical and then putting it on your head. So I just I prefer not to use booties in that scenario. Um, mm-hmm. This is going more into search strategy when you're at a scene. So when I go, especially like to a fire scene or the mudslide, when you go to an area, it's more of a fire scene hazard. Um, I usually have I wait outside and have one of my flankers go in and scout for hazards, downed wires, pools that are covered in ash unstable surfaces, um, and it's just something you want to be aware of so that if you have to go into that area, you can go in from a different way or you can put something over it so your dog isn't exposed to it. So if it's an antifreeze spill or something, you can put a, a cone over it so the dog doesn't actually go over the antifreeze and walk over it. I mean, just trying to avoid exposure as much as you can but still be effective with your search. Um, and of course, debrief with whoever's in command of what you did and didn't do at that site. Okay. Did I answer your question? Yeah. Um, okay. And you talked about some other resources you might want um, want to find out before you start, such as the um, local veterinary hospital or um, finding out information about the substance. So um, I guess if you couldn't get the uh, material data safety sheet, would you end up using something like the local poison control center as a resource? 
Yeah, poison control is a great resource. Um, vet clinics are a great resource for local hazards. Firefighters know a lot. One of the other hazards that's not really a chemical, so to speak, um, actually not a chemical at all, is the, if you're going into a fire scene, is the temperature of the fire mm-hmm. scene. So another resource you can ask is there's something called a TIC, a thermal imaging camera, and firefighters usually have them on them. So you can ask them to get one of those and just check the temperature before you bring your dog in there because they could put their foot under the ash and get burned. Yeah. So those are other hazards of the scene. Yeah, you talked also about doing a baseline exam of your dog. and So what kind of things would you check um, at a baseline before deploying your dog? This is something you should do at home and out when you're just out with your dog. So my baselines I check for my dog are their normal temperature at home, resting, their normal heart rate, and their normal respiration rate. Um, and you can get those simply, you know, breathing, you just get the respiration rate that way. The, temp- the temperature you get with a thermometer, and then the pulse is what I use is the rear leg, um, and you can get the pulse that way. And then you want to get a resting rate, but when you're out in the field, your dogs aren't resting. So you also need to get an active rate. So go hiking with your dog, go playing with your dog a little bit, and then when you feel like they're at a level that they're reached that's similar to their working level, you do the same parameters there. So get a temperature, a heart rate, and a respiration rate of them at a working level. And that gives you something to compare to in the field. Mm-hmm. And, you know, suppose you're out during a search. Um, what might be some signs that your dog was becoming stressed? Uh, respiration rate is one of the main ones I look for. Um, and then mucous membrane. So is the uh, mucous membrane in there? In the gums, is it is the capillary refill time slower than normal? Is it a tacky? Are they dehydrated? Um, and just lethargy, if they're working a little slower. So those are the main ones I look for. Because you can't really see the, the heart rate right away. So it's the ones you want to look for is how active are they? Are they getting lethargic? If they're getting lethargic, get their respiration and then get their mucous membrane. And when you're feeling that, you can usually feel their temperature a little bit. Sometimes I'll touch their ears, the inside of their ears, and tell you how hot they are. And, you know, if it's really burning hot, which they might be because they're running around, it doesn't hurt to get a temperature as well. Uh-huh. So They run you know, a little higher, though, so everybody should know that. But. What should you do if you think your dog is stressed? Oh, well, remove them from the stressor um, and relax them. So hydrate them. Um, at OSA, they had us giving Nutri-Cal, which is a supplement, um, and that helped a lot. If they're hot, then you want to make sure they're cooled down. If they're cold, you want to make sure you warm them up. But um, remove them from the scene and rest them, and then reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And you talked also about um, making sure the scene is safe. Um, so one example you gave would be having your dog um, working naked, so I guess you know, taking off their vest. So what's an example of a reason you, you might want to do that? That, uh, yeah, that's more for the disaster scenarios that you worry about your dog getting caught up on something. So when you're working in a fire scene or a mudslide area and they're going in and their collar gets stuck on something and Mm -hmm. they're, you know, an area where you can't get to, um, it's just more dangerous because a lot of the scenes are more dangerous. So I prefer when they're... It's it's a balance act. So there's been times where I actually prefer her to have a harness on so that if she's falling, I can pull her out. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's other times where I want to make sure she doesn't get caught up on anything. So mm-hmm. you have to assess 
the scenario of the scene and go, am I more worried about them getting caught on something? If I am, like if there's rebar hanging out, if there's cement structures, if there's slots they can go into and they can get stuck there and not be able to get out because their collar's stuck, then take the collar and their harnesses off. If you think it's an area where they might fall into pits or get stuck in the mud and you might need to pull them out, then you might want to harness on them. So I can't say I always work them naked in a in a disaster scene. It's, it's more case by case scenario. Um, mm-hmm. What does this area look like, and what do I what hazards do I think she might get into that she either needs to be able to get out on her own or might need my help getting out of? Yeah, and you, and you touched on it a little earlier in our talk is about if you identify a hazard, um, marking it because you gave the example of putting a, a cone over um, a spill. So what are some other ways that you have used or might recommend for marking hazards? I use people, too. So if there's a field and there's an area that has a pit um, that the dog might fall into, you know, I'll have a person, one of my flankers stand over there and make sure that they, you know, are there to guide the dog around it or, or to help make sure they don't fall into it. Um, flagging tape, I've used flagging tape a lot of times just for a visual marker of me. If your dog is under good voice control, and they start heading that way, you can down them or have them turn. Um, and then I always do, if there is a big hazard in the area, um, then I will debrief with my team lead so they can make sure if they send another canine resource into there that they're aware of the hazards. And, you know, we all know dogs love to eat a lot of stuff, not necessarily not necessarily the best things. So do you have any tips for keep, keeping your dog from eating and drinking potentially contaminated materials? That's a really hard one, um, and that's something you have to work outside of the of the scenario and giving them a leave it command um, or drop or not now or whatever. Um, but making sure they don't drink it is pretty critical because you don't know what's in that water. Make sure they're hydrated so they're not looking for the water um, and snacks. The food thing, um, I don't, I've never seen a dog not want to try stuff even if they're full, so it's more of a teaching them not to do that when they're working and giving them the leave it command. If they do ingest it, if you think it's poisonous, um, hydrogen peroxide is a quick, simple one, but some vets will give you apomorphine, which um, you need to understand how to use it, and it makes them throw up right away. But then the danger of making them throw up is they can get dehydrated, so you want to make sure they can stay hydrated. So I use a leave it command, um, and it seems to work really well with my dogs, So, but that's, that's how I do it. Yeah, and I'm I'm wondering, there must be a difference in dog sensitivity to um, peroxide because I did once have to give peroxide to my dog and it worked very well. I was surprised he didn't even throw up his toenails. Um, On the other hand, when my son had to give it to his dog, even two doses, and she was still running around looking. (laughs) (laughs) Well, surprisingly, they have an expiration date on it too, so you might check that as well. But, um, yeah, I mean, I do think they have different sensitivity to it. They have different sensitivity to toxin. I mean, I've had dogs eat some chocolate and be fine, and other dogs eat chocolate and had some issues. So, uh, yeah. you know, same with raisins and stuff like that. Going through a vineyard, and my dog picks up some of the raisins that have fallen off, and my dogs have not had an issue with it, but some dogs do. Yeah, I know that I'm sure I've dropped bits of chocolate or raisins over the years, and my dog has grabbed them and never had a problem. Yeah. Um, any particular items that you keep in a canine de- decontamination kit? Anything that we haven't already talked about? No, I mean, my canine decontamination kit is pretty much the skunk off. 
because that's the, the biggest contaminations I have um, outside of disaster scenarios are skunks and poison oak. So I keep the skunk off in there. Um, I do have April morphine for my vet, so I have that. And I also have baby wipes from the poison oak. For the larger, if I know I'm going to a fire scene, I will bring my portable shower. So it's, it's more that so that I can rinse myself off as well because once you get decontaminated in the field, you still have to walk to your vehicle. And mm-hmm. I always like to decontaminate one more time, just one little wash off before we both get in the vehicle. And I always have a towel or two so that you can rinse yourself, dry yourself off a little bit afterwards. But those are the main ones. It's so it's Dawn detergent, um, baking soda, hydrogen peroxide, apomorphine, baby wipes are the main ones I have. Well, thanks. Is there anything that I forgot to ask you that you want to add for my listeners? No, I'm sure there's a lot of other information out there. Um, this is, my experience is uh, limited to just the searches I've been on and experiences I've had. Um, so I'm sure there's other people that can share a lot more on the topic, but I'm glad people are discussing it and thinking about it. Um, you're not guaranteed to have a contamination, decontamination center when you get there. So if you know you're going somewhere that might have it, just throw a little kit in your, in your truck and be prepared to be safe for your dog and you. And also the latest thing I've been doing is looking for pet washes near the searches because it, sometimes it's just nice to run through a pet wash right okay. after the right I have search. to admit um, there is only, I think, one place around me that does that, and it definitely, it definitely is is worth the money when you've got a, a filthy dog to be able to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. to get the wash and go and get everything. Yeah, we're blessed. We have a lot of them out here in California. So it's a yeah. If your dog comes out of the field and my dogs are black, but they come out and they're brown, I usually <laughs> want to throw them through a pet wash before I bring them home to my kids. All right. Well, thanks. And now I'm going to hit the end recording button. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.